you ask about my branding. That's my brand. To go where the facts lead us, to, to deal with the integrity and honesty about what's the smart thing to do. Joe Biden should have moved a lot faster on what he did. His speech was masterful. He identified the crush on the Capitol of September of January 6th. He identified it completely with a lack of law and order. How can you say you're on the side of exactly. law and order when that's, you're that's, supporting the mob? That's the move for the Democrats. Absolutely. And, and, and that's the first time they identified those two iconic pictures of getting knocked off in the street because of a gang member shooting the wrong way and defending the Capitol. You know, you can't have it both ways. You know, you just can't do that. Welcome to On Brand with Donnie Deutsch. I am Donnie Deutsch, and this is the podcast dedicated to a simple premise that um, everything today is brand. Every personality, every company, every corporation, every celebrity, uh, we're all brands. If you have a Facebook page, you're a brand because you put out their images and, and statements, and it's who you are. And so everything's a brand. We do two things on the show. First, we do an interview with a uh, big personality about their own brand. Today, it's Chris Matthews. Chris Matthews, legendary anchor on MSNBC. We've got a lot to talk to him about the state of politics and his world. Incredible story. You know, he was a. Uh, he was a Capitol Police officer. I, I mean, he's had an incredible life. We're going to talk to him. And of course, we do our Brands of the Week. And these are the brands that are shaping the zeitgeist, who's up, who's down. And let's get right to it. Uh, first up, Brand Down for Democracy. This is really kind of sobering. In an Axios Ipsos to America's Index poll, one in three Americans prefer strong unelected leaders to weak elected leaders. In other words, they would rather have someone who maybe is not as effective, not elected, an autocrat, versus a less effective elected official. That's sobering. They also believe, one in three Americans believe, that a president should be able to fire judges if they go against the public will. If they go, for instance, uh, right now, I'm sure there are a lot of Americans that would agree with that as far as Roe v. Wade, but that's kind of scary if you really think about it. And one in three think the president should have the power to basically fire um, or prosecute journalists, anchor people, uh, people in the news who say unpatriotic or what they see as uh, uh, offensive things. Scary stuff. And interestingly enough, on the point about firing judges, it's more Democrats than Republicans. And that's no no surprise given what's going on versus in late, latest uh, Roe v. Wade overturning, which is obviously flies in the face of popularity. But there's a lot of people taking democracy for granted. And that's really scary. One in three Americans and more under the age of 35. Be careful what you wish for, kids. Um Brand up for retirees, retirees as uh, contributors to political campaigns. This is interesting. In the year 2016, one in $10 donated to political campaigns came from retirees. In 2020, one in $5, so almost doubling the amount of money that retirees are giving to political campaigns. I think that's two reasons. It's one, uh, it's certainly easier to give money now with, with what you do online versus going to fundraisers. But I also think in this Trump era, there are more and more retirees, more and more people of age concerned with this country's legacy. You know, the older you get, the more you're concerned, ironically, with what you're leaving behind. Um, and I think that's just uh, kind of an interesting thing there. So yay, retirees, brand up. Huge brand down for Gen Z. This is amazing. Uh, this is this will really give you really hope for the future. 82% of Gen Z is say the idea of doing a minimal level of work, keeping their jobs is a proof of that statement that doing the minimum amount of work to keep your job, just the minimum amount of work. I like that. 80% of people say that. That's amazing. 85% of young women, 79% of young men. And they put basically working in rather a priority in their life, lower than family, friends, wellness, and hobbies. Now I get putting it after family and friends and wellness, but putting your work after your hobbies, like I said, 82% of Gen Z is saying the idea of doing the minimum amount to keep your job is a good thing. And that is a scary thing. Brand up for Amazon. Thursday Night Football, huge success. Uh, Thursday Night Football, of course, just broke on Amazon last week. Uh, they had promised 12 million viewers. They have 12 and a half million viewers that tuned in to last week's game. And the most important statistic out of this, and it really shows you where we are in terms of streaming versus linear TV, 20% more 18 to 34-year-olds watch than a typical NFL broadcast on NBC or ABC or CBS uh, or ESPN. So this shows you where, where streaming is, that they got a 20% bump in viewership with 18 to 34-year-olds simply because it was streaming. So good news for Amazon and, of course, continued good news for streaming. Um, brand down for 
A brand up for hot coffee. I don't know if I did this one last week. I don't think I did. Uh, brand up for hot, brand down for hot coffee. I'm sorry. This is really interesting that Starbucks said that 60% of all coffee drank is cold all year long. That's amazing. That's an amazing statistic. 60% of all coffee sold through Starbucks, Starbucks is cold. Wow. How about that one? All right. Brand up, huge brand up for Doritos. Uh, mustard and ketchup flavored chips. Gotta love that. You can get Doritos chips, the flavor of ketchup, the flavor of mustard. You must, boy, I just love that. I just love that. Think about that. Um, brand up for new words. That's right. New words. Merriam-Webster has put out new words that have come into the vernacular as they do every year. Uh, shrinkflation, pumpkin spice, subvariant, adorkable, yeet. Yeet means surprise, excitement. Some new words there. How about that one? Huge brand up for White Castle. White Castle is coming out with frozen castle bites. They resemble those. You remember the, to the Tostina pizza rolls? You get the cheese and the pizza, the little bite-sized things. Well, now you can get slider hamburgers at home in the crispy crust. Gotta love that. That's genius, isn't it? Brand up for James Earl Jones. He's going to give his voice in perpetuity. Basically, he's 91 years old, and he wants to continue on as the voice of Darth Vader. So through artificial intelligence, they will always use James Earl Jones' voice as Darth Vader. So he will live on as Darth Vader, James Earl Jones, artificial intelligence, brand up. We will always have James Earl Jones as Darth Vader. Brand up for Brad Pitt. He's coming up with a gender-neutral skincare line uh, following Harry Styles. And it's interesting. Both those guys have been featured uh, in big spreads in Vogue and Vanity Fair in very non-traditional male settings, you know, with flowers in the backdrop, both wearing very kind of, we know the way Harry Styles dresses in concerts, but two of the leading male aspirational sex symbols doing very kind of gender neutral things. And that's kind of where the world is going right now. Very interesting. So a brand up for Brad Pitt and we'll also give one up for Harry Styles. This is a big brand up. John Senna. He just made history, Guinness Book of World Records, the most make-a-wish wish grantings, you know, if you will, basically granting make-a-wish wishes. 650 times John Senna has granted a make-a-wish to a, 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 a very, very sick child. You got to love that. I've met John Senna a few times. Really, really good guy. Uh, so a big brand up for him. Uh, brand up for sexy bras. It seems that underwire and push-up bras sales are going through the roof. It seems as if in a post-pandemic world, there's a return to sexy. Um... And I think that's I think that's good news. I, I you say what you may. I think sexy bras coming back is a good thing. Push up bras, underwire bras. I am a guy that likes curves. I'm not embarrassed to say it. I hope that doesn't get me in trouble. Doesn't mean we don't love non curves, but I like curves. And so sexy bras are back. Here's a brand down for Nyquil chicken and the sleepy chicken challenge. Seems as if there's a big uh, thing going on TikTok now where people are basting chickens in NyQuil cooking them that's supposed to help you sleep obviously this is dangerous so don't take the sleepy chicken challenge we're basting your chicken in NyQuil this I'm going to put this together with the uh 82% of uh Gen Zers who are not into hard work that the the future of our country and every generation worries about this I always get concerned with the next generation when they're doing things like the NyQuil chicken challenge on TikTok Brand up for free food at work. 51% of all companies now serve free food at work. That's up from 31% in 2019. And I'm somebody who ran a company, and basically uh, it's what people want to work. You got to give it to them. It's, uh, it's where the world is going right now. And if you're not giving them those free tacos and the free snacks and the free Cheetos at work, they're going to go work someplace else. Um, Brand, up, brand down for bad dreams in middle age. Bad dreams in middle age could be a sign of dementia, a study suggests. Research coming out of the University of Birmingham finds that middle-aged people who have bad dreams at least once a week are four times more likely to experience cognitive decline over the following decade than those who really have nightmares. Most people experience bad dreams from time to time, but approximately 5% of adults experience nightmares, dreams distressing enough to wake them up at least once a week, and that could be early signs of dementia. That's not a good thing. Um, brand up for electric cars. This is a staggering thought, a staggering thing. Uh, more than half of U.S. car sales will be electric by 2030. 
Just over half passengers sold in the U.S. will be electric vehicles by 2030, according to a report from Bloomberg. That thanks consumer incentives, including the $374 billion in new climate spending enacted by President Joe Biden. Uh, those incentives, uh, among them for a point of sale tax credit up to, up to $7,500 for a new EV purchase, are likely to boost the pace of adoption. Interesting. Wow. And convertibles, brand down. Convertibles driving to the sunset as automakers invest in electric vehicles. Seems less and less percentage of U.S. cars are convertibles. They don't seem to be as practical. The people who tend to, there are a lot of convertible uh, users going to electric car vehicles. And uh, it doesn't seem to be as many uh, convertibles being sold. That's a bad thing. I don't like that. And finally, a brand down for Putin. This is a scary thing. I just want to read this quote. This really gave me the shivers. Uh, Obviously, Ukraine kind of really coming out on top, really winning battle after battle in the Ukrainian war. And in a recent interview in Financial Times, Russian tycoon Konstantin Malefeyev said this, the whole world should be praying for Russia's victory in Ukraine because there are only two ways this can end. Either Russia wins or a nuclear apocalypse. If we don't win, we'll have to use nuclear weapons because if we, we can't lose. Does anyone really think Russia will accept defeat and not use his nuclear arsenal? That's scary. Uh, so we'll end with a brand down for Vladimir Putin, who, according to one oligarch, uh, believes that as a last uh, resort, he will use nuclear weapons. I don't think that's going to happen, but just thought it'd end on that high note. And those are brands of the week. I am thrilled at today's guest. Uh, Chris Matthews is a legend. Uh, Obviously, most of you know him through almost a quarter of a century hosting Hardball. His career is about as interesting as you'll ever get, starting with being a a singing waiter at the... Your father's mustache in Summers Point, New Jersey. It goes from that to joining the Peace Corps, to uh, columnist, San Francisco Examiner, to... um, uh, chief of, I'm not necessarily in, in this order, to speechwriter for Jimmy Carter, chief of staff for Tip O'Neill. Um, P, uh, just an incredible, incredible career. Two quotes that in doing my research that I think some sum up Chris, also best-selling author, books about Bobby Kennedy, Jack Kennedy, his most recent autobiography, This Country, My Life in Politics and History. Two quotes really sum it up best. One from a Canadian journalist last year who did a profile and said, There's something quintessentially American about Chris Matthews. He's like the positive flip side of the Trumpian caricature, blunt but honest, pugnacious but patriotic, tenacious but rational, brash but BS averse. And my favorite quote from George Will, this is almost 20 years ago, once known as Chris Matthews is half Huck Finn and half Machiavelli, an exuberant guide to the great game of politics. Welcome, Chris Matthews. Thanks, Tony. Thank you so much for that uh, potpourri of good good stuff. (laughs) How are you feeling, by the way? I'm feeling great. I'm up here in Nantucket. I've been here most of the summer. I, I went to Croatia for a week, uh, two weeks ago, which was great. Uh, and I've been around a bit. And we're going back to Vietnam to teach in November uh, for my second course of the year. These are two-week courses I've been giving at the Fulbright University of Vietnam, which is a great new university over there. It's English. It's uh, independent. And uh, I'm very proud to be teaching there. Talk to me about your experience in the Peace Corps. I, I didn't know that about. It. I mean, I, I I knew obviously your history as a, a Capitol Police officer. I just I reading on you. I'm like Jesus Christ. This guy's done it all. Talk to me about the Peace Corps. Well, I was in the first uh, group uh, Peace Corps group going into Swaziland, which is a very small country. It's 80 miles by 100 miles. It's sort of like Monaco, or much more, smaller even, and it's uh, surrounded by South Africa on three sides, uh, by Mozambique on the other side, on the eastern side. It's a kingdom run by, at the time, King Sabuza II. Uh, he had, remember, he's famous for having 250 wives. Uh, he was quite a modern man in many ways. Uh, it was a very peaceful country, same language, same culture, uh, very united country. And uh, I was teaching business. I had 200 small business people in a, in a, a section of the country, a province, Shisawini. And I would drive around on my motorcycle and uh, by Suzuki 120, and I would drive around and, and teach them business, and I would call them together for week-long courses and, uh, and teach them that. I organized a national industrial uh, conference, and it brought all these people in to, to show up to the national showgrounds, their industrial uh, efforts, what they're trying to sell. And so it was a pretty successful time. I mean, it was difficult because of the language. The language was Zulu, a form of Zulu. But I had great times and great friends, still the friends today. We meet once in a while. 
and made a lot of friends over there at the time. I mean, I, I was always amazed at how these men, I thought they were in their 50s. They may have been in their 40s. People got older over there faster. And they treated me like their son. I mean, with all the racism and history they had behind them, and yet they treated me, this skinny young American guy, this white guy, if you will, as their sons. They were very nice to me, these business guys. And I think that's had a lot to do with my just sort of of social attitudes, that they were so welcoming. And they really were. You're you're obviously, you're a Democrat, a centrist. uh, I'm a centrist Democrat. I I voted for George W. You voted for George W. Yes, you did. did. I mean, I'm a Democrat also, but I I will vote Republican also. And I voted for Arlen Specter the first time I voted for uh, mayor of Philadelphia. I uh, I thought he was a reformer. I I still thought he was pretty good. And um, I tried to break with the old Irish, basically, mentality of support the big city machine, you know, solid for Mulcahy. I was trying to break out of that and, and vote for Arlen Specter. Right. You were also early on a Nixon supporter as opposed to JFK. Of course, you yeah. wrote a biography on JFK. You've spoken in such superlatives about him, but yet you were a Nixon guy. That no, One would have not thought that yeah, would be part I, of your I bi- just, biography. Well, he reminded me of my dad. He was a middle-class guy who was striving to be to shake things up in the, in the, among the elite. He, he was trying to be the first of his generation to go to college. He went to Duke Law, came in third. He was a striver. Jack Kennedy was a glamorous, charmed, charismatic fellow who understood iconic power like you do. He understood the power of pictures. He understood how powerful Jackie would come across as. I don't be cynical about it, but he knew what she would come across as. He understood the moonshot and civil rights and the Peace Corps. He was always into the idea of the perfect picture. His, his speechwriters spoke in um, picture words, as Nixon said. He was trying to get his speechwriters to keep up with him, but he couldn't. He knew how the, you know, the, the kid who throws his hat, his cap over the wall, so he'd have to climb the wall to get somewhere. He, he always understood the picture and what that would look like, because he was handsome himself. I think that's probably one reason for that. But he was always able to leave us with a very clear picture of what he had done. Isn't that interesting? You can see it, what he did. Yeah. And, um, and Nixon couldn't do that. He couldn't create that clarity of a vision that sparkled with Kennedy. And it always did. Even when he gave a speech on civil rights, just words. And yet when he talked about it, it's as old as the scriptures and as the American as the declaration, he understood how those iconic pieces of information would just flow into people's heads and then say, I get it. It is as old as the scriptures. It is about treating others as you'd like to be treated yourself. It is about America, all men being created equal, all people being created equal. It is that. It was charming, glamorous, and perfect in his uh, pronunciation of those images. How do you keep up with that? As somebody once said, it, they saw a picture of Jack and Jackie walking somewhere, and he said, the, the Nixon people, it was a Nixon guy, he said, how do you keep up with that? Looking as good as those two did, it's true. You, you've revered, you, your reverence for Bobby is 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 been yeah very very very. Well, very I mean, people like Pat Buchanan, uh, Pat Buchanan, and then the other guy, uh, Bill O'Reilly. These guys are tough, tough people, and yet they saw in Bobby something they really admired: the good versus the evil. Uh, I'm taking on the mob bosses, the Giancanos. I'm taking them on. Roy Hoffa. I'm going to beat the bad guys. It was Manichaean. It was not about left versus right. Bobby was not a left versus right guy. He was he was out for helping people who were poor farmers, people like that, the, the Chicanos, as he called them from Mexico, who come to work in California fields. He, w- he was looking for the, the good. It was interesting about him. He was a very moral person in a very broad way. And uh, my God, how could you not like him? He also he was the, I knew this from an engineer on Capitol Hill when I was a cop. He said, the only elite, if you will, Democratic liberal who always said hello to the cops was Bobby Kennedy. Boy, does that tell you something. Yeah, it tells you everything. He always made a point when he came into the building, he was not some snooty snob that was above everybody, walked around like he's a senator. His first thing was to thank the guys who were there to help him, to protect him. He was an Irish cop in many ways, a good Irish cop. I mean, I think that's why Pat Buchanan liked him. But Pat Buchanan watched him give his concession speech after losing the heartbreaking Oregon primary in 1968. And he said he could not have done it better if he'd been a winner. 
But this is Pat Buchanan, one of the toughest guys there are. And he said, this is the guy you want as your friend. This is the guy you want to look up to. Pat Buchanan. Yeah, that's a good And uh, he was reporting back to Nixon. And I thought, heart to heart, that worked. So how did you end up as a Capitol Police officer? Which, And obviously, we're going to- Well, I came to the Hill. I came to the Hill. I I went to the Hill. And I knocked. I started to knock on doors. I heard from a guy that had gone to Holy Cross College a couple years ahead of me. And he said, you don't have to be a lawyer to be in L.A. on Capitol Hill, to be a legislative assistant. So I immediately thought I could be Ted Sorensen, like for Ted Kennedy. Right, for Bob, for Jack Kennedy, when he was a senator all those years, and then in the White House, I said, well, okay, I can do that. So I went to the Hill and I tried to get a legislative assistant job. I went to all the Irish Catholic guys I figured would love the Holy Cross and the Peace Corps and Jack Kennedy. And I, I started knocking on all those doors. I got nowhere. I eventually went to a, the AA, the, the chief of staff to uh, Frank Moss of Utah. And I thought because he's a more moderate Democrat, I might like him more because uh, he's a Westerner. And Wayne uh, had me try out he had me do an answer to a question of a woman who husband was, uh, who was the composer with the, uh, the music director for the Utah Symphony, and she had wanted to take advantage of a tax shelter. And I had to get, I went down to the IRS and I got this very complicated answer. And I wrote back a letter uh, that the senator could use explaining how you could take advantage of uh, a tax shelter if you work for a nonprofit. Very complicated piece of material. I got some help from my local congressman. And uh, he said, well, that's good work. Now I can, the only job I have offering to offer you right now is Capitol Police. And I go, oh my God, I'm not going to be in LA. And, and, I, and it, I had about 80 bucks left. And he said, it'll pay for the groceries. It'll keep you going. I did that for about three months and I really enjoyed it. I felt very proud to be a Capitol cop. I liked it. And three months later, I said, it's time for that LA job. Uh, Wayne, you got to give me the real job I want. He, he gave me the job. And I was in LA from then on. So obviously January 6th, we all watched it in horror, but for you, it, it you had a, a special lens. Being those are your guys up there. Donnie, Donnie again, iconic. Imagine me, twenty five years old, still skinny, standing there with a gun, a thirty eight special in my pocket, in my holster, knowing somehow intuitively I wasn't going to be able to use it. That the crowd pushed me out past me, running me over, pushing past me to the point of a, a real frightening moment. I can't use that gun. Uh, the woman who did use the gun, the, the police officer, she ended up shooting somebody. And even that was covered in, in all kinds of misinformation. And half the cops, I thought at the time, most of the cops were country people. They were not, they didn't go to college. They uh, were from West Virginia, most, most uh, regularly long, long drives to work. They were more like the Trump people today. And uh, probably just projecting a lot of those people saw fellow voters with them. They had voted for Trump. And so when they look in that crowd of people that look like them, they may have played pool with, they may have played golf with, they hung out with, and these are fellow Americans coming at them. And they go, oh my God, these people look like us, like the rest of us who voted for Trump. And now I've got to fight them. And it's just horrendous, the descriptions they gave later in the testimony to the January 6th committee about what it was like to face your neighbors as they come at you with pitchforks saying that they have a right to the building and you don't. It's horrible. And I had patrolled uh, all those offices. I had checked the, you know, the classic night. This is by a great scene in advise and consent. The, the, the old cop going around checking the doors at night. That's what you did. Yeah. You went around all day long trying to tr- checking the doors in the old buildings. And that's, that was your turf. And to see that overrun by those people with this sort of goofy attitude of we're going we're gonna to fly from the rafters here and swing from the, the, the walls. What are you up to? Are you really tourists? What are you doing here? And all the time they're looking for the vice president of the United States to God knows do what with him because the president of the United States had twisted the car wheel trying to drive himself up to the hill so he could join those who he was happy to see were armed. Well, I think there's got to be some crime in there somewhere. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, but it seems like if you arm people, you say, don't, they're not out to hurt me. Uh, They're carrying weapons, send them up to the hill to get the vice president to not do his job and certify the electoral college count. What are you, aren't you endangering him? I mean, we had pictures of him racing out of the Capitol. Wasn't he endangered? And wasn't that the president's fault? I don't know the law here, but it looks like they might be getting close to making that charge of endangering the life of the vice president. But 
you know, now they're focusing on the uh, papers down in Mar-a-Lago. And I think you have to get not just the law right, you got to get the politics yes, right. Yes. You've got to hit the president on something related to what he did constitutionally, what he did in denying the, the victory of Joe Biden. And what did he do in terms of trying to, to stop the certification? Because that's, to me, the constitutional crime, if there is one. It's right there. And I hope they can, I hope they, I hope they can find the truth if it's there. I just hope so. I'm, I'm right with you. You know, you're probably not going to remember this, but one night on, on your show, this is when they were um, debating to impeach Trump or it was some, somewhere along that process. And I said to you, you know, if they impeach him, this is a guy who is not beyond. And I predicted he will at some point tell people to take to the streets and create a civil war. And I remember you, your mouth dropped. And, you know, I mean, it was it like now, which it seems so obvious. Yeah. I knew this guy and I knew that literally if he lost or he was impeached or whatever, they tried to take him out of office. He was going to leave office. He was going to tell people to take to the streets. And, you know, that was one of the few things I got right ahead of time. And yeah, well, let me tell you what you knew, what you knew. And being from New York City, you have a sense of the Civil War, mm -hmm. whether you want to have it or not, you do have one. And you have a sense of the race based attitude of a lot of us. Like, I still think that the, the Republican candidate in Georgia is going to win. Do you really? You do. I see it because it has to do with the race attitude and, and, and the racial, even though, you know, the, the Walker is, uh, Herschel Walker is African-American. There's something about the voting down there that's so conservative, richly conservative. It's against the way things are going, if you will, mm -hmm. in this country. And I think it's the same with Lindsey Graham. I think he's playing to that too. I'll, I'll call it conservative. But it has such a strong racial piece to it. It just does. Oh, everything. I, I believe that everything that has happened is the function of that this country is heading in 15 years to be a white minority country. And there is a huge portion of this country, whether it's 40%, 45%, 50%, that just does not want that to happen. And that I Trump hit that nerve. Everything to me came back to race. I, I, I really believe that. And, and it goes, it goes, and it goes down to what the South African whites would talk about in the end, they're going to have a big circle and they're going to surround themselves with armaments and they're going to defend whatever piece of South Africa they could hold on to. No, thanks to the, the clerk. They didn't do that. They chose not to fight a losing battle, but they weren't going to fight and kill a lot of other black people and white people. This, this crowd seems to go back to this. And I look at the history of the civil war. I'm reading this great book by John Avalon about how when he was still alive, Lincoln was so hard in trying to bring peace between North and South. But you realized in the history there, you could see that it was South Carolina, it was Georgia, it wasn't Virginia. Uh, it was these deep South states who have a majority of black people living there. There were more blacks than whites in the, when the Civil War began in, 19, in 1861. They felt outnumbered. Whatever you want to give their causation to, it was there. They thought they were fighting for themselves for survival. And you get that same thing today. And Trump plays to that over and over again. Throw him out, lock her up. It's always criminal. It's always a, a total war. It's beat them up, you know, make fun of them physically. It's, it's a very carnal thing that he's urging people to do. Go to the streets, raise hell, riots in the streets. It's all physical. It's creating mayhem. You know, I don't want to overstate this because there's a lot of moderate Republicans like my dad who voted for Goldwater, who who no matter who it was, would basically sign a ticket and say, okay, I'm with the party. There's a lot of people that just vote party and they don't like the liberal elitism and they really resent it. And uh, there's some piece of the Democrats' behavior that's causing that, but it's not all of it. And some people are just, you know, every time there's a fight, it is going to be a racial fight. And we've gotten over it in terms of entertainment, in terms of athletics, in terms of the NBA and the pro football. I think people have gotten past it on a certain line uh, in terms of athletics and competition, they have gotten past race. They really have. And they have black heroes. But there's something still there at the base that Trump talks to. When he said that Barack Obama was from Kenya, what was that about? I thought he was, he was talking directly to his fellow business conservatives, the real conservatives. And he knew they didn't like Barack Obama. And he was going to play to that with them. And he couldn't lose. And then one Friday night, he just decided he was going to drop that case. He just dropped it. This is the scary thing. If Donald Trump tomorrow said, you know what? 
I just took it that looked at the numbers in Pennsylvania and in Georgia and in Arizona. It looks to me like I lost the election of 2020. All of a sudden, three quarters of those people would say he, he lost the election. This is what's scary. How does Donald Trump have such a cult of personality that he can dictate what people actually believe? How did he do that? That's what Jesus did. I mean, how do you, what kind of religion is this? You can tell people what to believe. I think, I think what Trump- And he does that with people. What he, what he was able to do, and I think it is, when people are unhappy with their own lot in life, and you come along and you say, it's not your fault, it's the black's fault, it's the Jew's fault, it's the media's fault, it's the banker's fault, they'll follow you through anything because you're, you're kind of giving them a ticket to whatever their problems are in life, it's not their fault, it's somebody else's fault. And that's that's a powerful piece of foundation to build on. And that, that I, I think, is the essence of where Trump starts. And, he understands and I think that. there's a lot to that. And, and people that uh, are self-destructive and they drink too much or whatever they do, I, and he paints into that too. It's ironic. It's not ironic. It's logical. They feel that more that way even more more so when he feeds it to them. You know, they go out and have too many drinks, and they say, "Oh, then even more prejudice." You know what I mean? It's all in our being. It's in there, and he plays to it. So how do we, it, how do we get back on, on, it, on track? We're, we're you're a guy who grew up with you know with with Reagan and O'Neill, and I have my I have two I had three brothers three brothers that voted for Trump. Uh, one, two of them vote just one as a country club fellow. He plays a lot of golf, and I think it's just part of his worldview. Uh, the other one's an NRA guy who just does all kinds of guns, lives up near Allentown. And I understand his view. They aren't about Trump. They don't believe in Trump's stuff. And another one who just was really felt like, I got to take a chance on something besides Hillary and, and tried something else. And I understand that too. I didn't do it. I, I, I understand Hillary, the first time around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, take, but, but the, the ones that the 40% that stood in, stood in line after four years and said, give me more of that, that's, that just is, is incomprehensible. That's the, and after January 6th, yeah. even the, the ultimate uh, group that stuck with them on everything. But I, there were people who said, you know, what do you got to lose? That was a pretty good line, actually. Yeah, yeah. When he tried that and people who are without money or hope, what do you got to lose? Because you know, the Democratic Party, I have weighed this so much, trying to figure out why have they lost their, their grip on the regular voter. And I think it has to do with particular things. Uh, you know, when I was growing up in Pennsylvania, the people would, would split their ballots in the suburbs. They would, the husband or the wife would vote for the Democrat for Congress and the Republican for state senator because they had a state scholarship. I don't know if you knew about this, but you could, if you vote, if you were were in touch and connected with uh, a, a, an office holder, you had a good shot at getting a state scholarship for your kid. Not a lot of money, but a certainly amount, an important amount. And I kept thinking, well, that's the old thing. And the student loans, where it was a good program, when it was three percent interest, is what I paid, and had very little, day, you know, nothing, no pressure like my daughter-in-law with the law school. I mean, these kinds of pressure they felt today. It was nothing like that. It was a little gift, a little state loan, a federal loan, and it was 3%, and you could pay it off when you got out of the Peace Corps or grad school, whatever you're doing. It was a nice little gimme. There's, the Democrats don't have gimmies anymore. <laughs> they don't have these little things like Social Security that they would fight for against the Republicans that they can nearly say, you know, I vote Democrat because I really like Social Security. I really like Medicare or Medicaid. And Maybe there's just a lack of those identifiable, iconic, visual things that you can say, I'll tell you why I'm a Democrat. You know, I'm for mm -hmm. unions or what. And the union thing's not too compelling, as you know, anymore. Yeah. <laughs> they haven't gotten too much big uh, rewards lately. So it's like we've lost the ability to appeal. Democrats face a Republican Party, which is quite open to saying to you, if you make a couple hundred thousand a year, we're going to give you a tax cut. We're just going to give you a tax cut. You cash out. Vote Republican. Cash out. Get the money. So how how do we get back on? I mean, maybe that's it. We're, we're in such a tribal place right now. We it's so opposite from what you kind of grew up in politics of where you know guys would fight all day long and then get together and drink at night. Um, well, they did actually. They actually did. Tip Reagan, Tip O'Neill. I, I may be alone in this, but I did the book on it and I studied where they could re reach agreement on Social Security and saving it. And all, totally different reasons. Reagan wanted that monkey off his back, and Tip wanted it save the system. And, and I understand that. They both had good political reasons, partisan reasons for dealing. But at the end of the day, they did it. And they, and they did invite, they vote for jobs bills. 
Uh, they did a lot of good work together on Northern Ireland to try to straighten out that situation over there with the troubles. They did work on that. Tip did go to see Gorbachev, who just died. He went over there before Reagan. He, listen to this story. He went over there before Reagan. And, and, and it said, don't get any ideas, Gorbachev, about going through the Congress. Like a lot of people who support Israel do that. You go to the Congress first, you go through the two stops in the Congress and the White House. But you go to the Congress and you work the Foreign Affairs Committee and you try to get your friends up there to help you. Well, he said, don't try that with us because we have one president, his name's Ronald Reagan. And not only is he a, our one president, he really does want to reduce the number of nuclear weapons. It just is a fact. He thinks we ought to get rid of nuclear weapons. So work with them and uh, don't kind of double back or, or cut them off at the congressional side like a lot of other people do. Don't try that with, with this guy. And it, this is before he, Reagan ever met Gorbachev. This was Tip O'Neill and Bob Michael, the Republican uh -huh. leader, did that together. So that, that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. So, you know, so what, where are we headed? You, you've got a situation now where we've got all got our smartphones, so we get our news any way we want it. It's all bespoke and, and we are so divided. It is, it is, it is so, so tribal. Do we ever, what, did, how do we get back on the rails? Because we are so off well, the fucking uh, rails well, right now. Well, the problem is, and I'm not knocking anybody because I, 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 I accept the fact being a Democrat, you have to be a, a mix of center left and left. And most of my life, I've hung out with the left. I just have. That's who I, I side with. Maybe because I like them, but I do. And you have to recognize that some of the people on the left with defund the police went on oh, way too long. Crazy, crazy. And nobody shut it down until Donna Brazil about two months ago said when I was at a shopping mall with a lot of African-Americans there, I went over and hugged the police officer for protecting us. I said, thank you, Donna, because you're the smartest person around. You know what's going on here. You got to say it. You can't just say don't defund. You got to say I love the police. Yeah. Because when you're living in a tough neighborhood, and we know what we're talking about, the south side of Chicago or North Philly, you know when there's something going wrong, domestic relations or something going wrong, you call 911. You know that number. Yeah. You grew up with that number. You call the police officer. He may not be the nicest guy in the world. He may be a little crusty. But when he shows up, you know he's going to stop the lawbreaking. That's the idea. And, uh, and I remember Michael Nutter ran for mayor in Philly a couple of times ago. And he advocated stop and frisk. He said, we, we want to do stop and frisk. You got it. Commissioner Timoney once said to me, the only time stop and frisk works, got to be careful about it. Don't do all black kids who are out there on the streets. You can't do that, obviously. That's profound. But when there's been a a crime killing, and somebody's just been killed in one crowd, and they the cops know all who the crowds are, the, the gangs are. You go out in the streets and look for four kids or three or four kids walking together somewhere with purpose. You got to stop and frisk them because they're out to get even. This is what's going on Friday night at 11 or, or 2 in the morning. This is what's going on. That's a, a particular situation where you have to act aggressively. So you ask about my branding. That's my brand. To go where the facts lead us. To, to deal with the integrity and honesty about what's the smart thing to do. Joe Biden should have moved a lot faster on what he did yesterday. His speech last night was masterful. He identified the crush on the Capitol of September of uh, January 6th. He identified it completely with a lack of law and order. How can you say you're on the side of exactly. law and order when that's, you're that's, supporting the mob? That's the move for the Democrats. Absolutely. And, and, and that's the first time they've identified those two iconic pictures of getting knocked off in the street because of a gang member shooting the wrong way and defending the Capitol. You know, you can't have it both ways. You know, you just can't do that. So I thought it's about time. Uh, maybe there'll be some noise from the squad. I'm not sure. I think they know what the story is. If you want to win the elections, you got to get the Senate to vote for you too. But I thought it was a little late. I wish it'd been sooner. I don't know why he has leaned a bit to I mean, not sure too to the, the left, which he has done. I know why Pelosi's got to do it, because she's got to keep the squad and the people close to the squad, the, the, the general progressive crowd, happy enough to support the center, which is infrastructure. So she had to haul off on voting on the infrastructure bill until the Build Back Better thing had a better chance. And I saw how she finessed that. She's an expert at finesse. You want to know her secret? Finesse. Keeping everybody happy a little bit. And uh, boy, does she have a tough crowd to deal with? And she has done it brilliantly. And, and, and Biden has to do that, too. But it doesn't look so good when you're the president. It looks like you're on the 
hard left when you're not really, everybody knows Joe Biden. No, he's a moderate. Joe Biden once said, he once said, I, I wore a sports coat in the 60s. And I said <laughs> that was the most honest thing he'd ever said. He was learning how to play golf in the 60s. He wanted to be bourgeois. That's what he wanted. He wanted to be able to hang out with the big shots. And he's a progressive in many ways, but he was not a, an activist at all. So hand, handicap the midterms for me. Um, I, I think, first of all, there's two things going on. There's all the good stuff you read in the New York Times and blah, blah, blah. The New York Times is the New York Times. It's always going to be more positive for the Democrats. Look, I think they're going to lose. I think Charlie Cook gave us a good estimate of 20 to 35 seats. It's still up there. It could be, early, it could be in low 30s. Because historically, that's where it is. The only thing I take off of that is the 13 seats they lost in uh, 2020. So they, they're going to they got a lower threshold. They could lower instead of 55 or 54 or 63. I'd say it's down in the 30s, low 30s, maybe 20s. Uh, on the Senate side, I still look at some races, which I think are going to be defined by what we talked about earlier. I think, I think uh, Herschel Walker is going to win. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I thought the election of uh, the special election last time was uh, tweaked by Trump. It went the wrong way. He just went in there and attacked people for voting. Terrible thing he did. And it was, you know, it's good for us if he won. And I think uh, Warnock won. But I just think that's going to go the other way. I think uh, uh, Cortez Mastro, I think it's going to go. I think it's going the wrong way. Uh, the Senate, I think, I think Oz is a big mistake by Trump, a huge yes, mistake. Yes. He should have backed McCormick. McCormick would have won. McCormick yeah. looked like, uh, looked like uh, Pat Toomey. He had that sort of middle-class Irish name. Everything about him said, yeah, uh, a market guy here who's going to protect the market. He's not going to be a lefty. Uh, a safe bet to batch off with, uh, with, uh, with, with Clay Casey on the other side of the ticket there. I would love... Uh, Tim Ryan to win in Ohio. I would really root for him. A bunch of our Carter guys got together and I said, if we want a nominee for uh, 24, it's, it's, it's him. Because he looks like the working guy. He is the working guy. He's a moderate. He used to be pro-life. He switched. I mean, he's done in every way. Youngstown. I, I've, always, yeah, I've always thought that. And I think the other guy that could pop if he went, when he wins is Fetterman. I think that he's a very appealing guy. I think those are the two guys. Fetterman uh, is going to win. I think Fetterman will win because Oz is from New Jersey. Yeah. I mean, they did a great gimmick there a few weeks ago. They talked about the Tony Palmyra Bridge. You know, the working people of Northeast Philly, of North Philly, they sit in their, in their chairs, their, their beach chairs, basically, along the sidewalk. Of the of Route 73 coming in from uh, the bridge, and they sit in their chairs on Sunday afternoon and watch the traffic, the bridge traffic come home. It's a, it's a thing. I mean, it's watching the people coming back from the shore, from going down the shore, as we say, down the shore. And they know where the shore is, and they know where Jersey is, and that's where Oz is from. Right. I mean, he's from uh, he's from Jersey. Yeah. And it might have, might as well be Pluto. He's not from Philly, yeah. and he's not from Pennsylvania. I mean, this is a message that sounds so basic, but just get it across. This guy's an interloper. He should not be running in Pennsylvania and nail him for it. Don't ever let him off the carpet on this. No. You know, he's got a wife in Brenatham and he's renting a house in Brenatham. What are you kidding me? That's it. That's his connection. You know, give me a break. So they should beat him. I think Josh Shapiro should win. Shapiro did a great thing for my religion, Roman Catholic, because he cleaned out a lot of the priests. He got rid of the priests that were whatever you call them. And he, and he got rid of them. They were just didn't belong there. One of the priests was in my parish, St. Christopher said, what was he doing? I always thought he was an okay guy, but he wasn't. And uh, this is a, this is what our church, I mean, I'm just speaking sectarian here. Our church has needed, you know, Marty Barron did this up with the Boston Globe as yeah, we all know, yeah. you know, and, and I think it's like, thank you for doing this yeah. because we all want it done. Young people that don't want to wonder, they, they've been encrusted with the problem up in the higher ranks of the church who feel that they have too many whatever friends or whatever they're protecting or whatever's going on. They haven't cleaned it. So it took an outside guy to do it. I think I think it'll be good. I want to bounce some messaging off you. It, my theory is that in 2024, going forward, the Democrats' message, you know, Carville always said, is the economy stupid? I think you make it a referendum on crazy, that you just highlight the Republicans that Yes, we might have inflation and things are not great, 
But there's such a level of Looney Tunes on the Republican side, whether it's we believe that a 12 year old that's raped should still have to have a baby. We, we believe, I know, I know, you know, we, we believe in, in that January 6th was not a big deal. We believe that, you know, God, you know, that we should be arming teachers, you know, all the stuff that, that is just so fucking Looney Tunes that just scare people yeah. straight. I think that's the ticket. Well, I got a couple of nuances on that. One, I think prohibition came out right after World War One, and it was a lot of the people out suffragettes, all kinds of people are pushing for it. And it was an easy sell because booze had gotten out of hand. They thought, well, it took until Roosevelt came in for happy days to hear again or hear again. I think it takes a while. This is going to take cases of, as you said, the 14-year-old girl who was raped or uh, a victim of incest. You're going to see these cases of people that are just 16, 15-year-old, 18-year-old high school girls who, who in an early stage decide they not want to have a, uh, a child. That's going to be a popular cause because it is a popular cause. The, the right to an early term, and I'm a little careful about this, an early term abortion is very popular. And it will always be popular because people make mistakes. High school kids do. They don't use birth control. All kinds of things happen. They make mistakes and they want to be able to correct them. And, and, and fathers of daughters and mothers of daughters want to protect them. So I think in the first going, I think in this first election in November, we'll get a lot of women looking out for their daughter, more so than men. But this is going to take a little time, maybe two years, four years. I also think that just to paraphrase Trump, when I asked about abortion one time, he wasn't ready for it because he hadn't done any homework on it. And he thought the pro-life position was really murder, it was murder, all this stuff. So he said there needs to be some form of punishment. Well, I think there's two things going on. I think in particular cases, we're going to save people like Wild and Pennsylvania up in the Lehigh Valley. They're going to survive because of women's votes and things like that. But I also think there's this incredible rage about inflation. We are not Brazil. We're not a Latin American country. We do not accept we're like Germans. We are very strong on uh, inflation. And I think the five, I just looked at the gas station, it's four and a half, it's five and a half for, for Supreme. I think it's way too high. I think the inflation, if you're a working guy or a working woman, you got to drive 50 miles to work every day. You're going to have to punish somebody for that. Somebody's going to have to get punished for that uh, inflation. So I think there's going to be some out, out, outlying. And what I do think will happen is there'll be a couple, to, to some extent, you can figure them out, uh, Georgia. Uh, maybe because of all kinds of labor issues, whatever. I'm not sure what they are exactly in Nevada. You don't see a Democrat lose there. And in the Northeast, you'll see them, you know, maybe Hassan will have a tougher race than we thought. I don't know. And certainly Patty Murray and Michael, uh, Michael Bennett could have a harder, harder race than we thought. Those races are very strong, very real. They're very close within four points. These are real races that could go either way. I think there's going to be an explosion of unpredictable losses. They're going to be Tom Foley's. They're going to be Al Ullman. They're going to be people like that across the country that are surprise losses by Democrats. It's not going to be the Charlie Cook usual list of who to look out for. So we're going to have a mix. I won't call it a wave anymore, a splattering. There's going to be bloodshed on the Democratic side and also some good surprises. And one of the great stories I've, I dug up recently was when you look at 1932, Roosevelt won his governor's race. In 1928, when the Democrats were getting smashed across this country, Al Smith even lost New York State. It wasn't just the anti-Catholic thing. He lost New York. In 1972, when the whole Democratic Party was going down to defeat, Joe Biden won that year. So uh, things like happen. People, you know, they pull the upsets at a time when the wind's blowing the wrong way. So that's why I'm really hoping for, for, for Ryan, Tim Ryan, to win. I want him to beat the wind, to win even when in a bad year. And so I think it's going to be a splattering effect. You um, are a optimistic guy. So give me the optimistic picture of this country for the next 10 years. I mean, you're a pragmatic guy. You're also tell it like Okay, it we need a bench. I mean, Gergen's going out there. David Gergen's a smart guy. He's about 80. And he's out there saying we need, a, we need to turn it over to a younger crowd. Yeah. Okay, who do you want to turn it over to? Start rooting for some guys. Yeah. If you got some money, give it to some young people. Help Tim Ryan. Help him pull it up. So help, you know, help Fetterman. You find some winners out there. Is the governor of California a winner or not? Well, let's take a look at it. Let's take a look. Uh, he's got a lot of the positives going. I, and we'll see what else. Some negatives, too. We'll see how it works. Uh, you're going to have to find a winner 
for 24. This yeah. isn't about a million years from now. Yeah. You, Joe Biden's probably going to decide not to run again, but he won't announce it until February. Right. I mean, he's not going to tell it too soon. But he, he hasn't done a good job of promoting his own people. No. I don't know why. Buttigieg, people like that, and the, the governor of, uh, of uh, Rhode Island, and, and the people, and the governor of Michigan. There's a lot of Democrats out that should be boosted. Yeah. They should be, they're in their 50s or 40s, and they're, they're smart, gung ho people. They may not be world view leaders. I mean, saying Buttigieg is not a world leader yet, but they are capable of learning. And I, I don't understand why the Republicans out of this hopping, you know, it's, this crying out loud bench and the Democrats don't have a bench. No. I mean, Nikki Haley is dying to run tomorrow morning. She'll be ready tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock tonight. I'll announce. I mean, she is so ready to run and DeSantis, but, uh, and Larry, and Larry, Larry, uh, what's his name in, in, in Maryland? Yeah. Uh, Hogan. Hogan. I mean, and there's a, there's a lot of them out there left and right or center left, center, right, center, right. And right. Who, uh, who would like to run and Democrats don't seem to be doing, I don't know why, they're not doing, maybe they don't want to offend Joe Biden, but I don't think that's a good reason not to start acting like a potential president. They got to start acting like presidents. 57, Kennedy was running with his Algeria speech. He's running for president. So you know. do you miss the daily grind? I don't miss the daily grind. Uh, I do miss uh, what you guys do with Joe in the morning. I'd, I'd like to do that once in a while. I, I, I hope I do something like that. I, I do miss uh, being part of uh, the fight with Chuck Todd on Sunday. Uh, I, I know I have thoughts about all these things, and um, but I do like my wife, my wife life, my life with my wife. I do like that. I, I do like I do like being up here on Nantucket, which is spectacular. I'm looking out the window now; it's 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 green and it's blue and it's beautiful. So I, I'm not really into the grind. And there was a time when COVID was coming on, and I was thinking, "Oh my God, I'm doing this again." And um, it was time to quit at least for a while. We'll see. Chris Matthews. Well, we miss you every day. Love to see you back there. I've always been a huge fan. You are a great American. Thank you for taking the time today, my friend. Donnie Deutsch, you're great. Thanks so much for having me on. Hey, thanks for listening to On Brand. Uh, we always love having you here. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you get podcasts, Apple, Spotify, any place else. And exciting news. Uh, starting next week, we're going to do two drops. We're going to break up the uh, our episodes into two. We're going to do our interviews in one segment. that will drop one day. And our brands of the week, our brands up, brands down on another day. So two for the price of one. You'll be getting them twice a week starting next week on On Brand. We love you, we love you guys listening and stay, stay tuned. We'll see you soon.